This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. You are never off the record on social media. Tips for navigating social media today on the Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto, and I'm happy to welcome back Brad Dennison, HFMA's Director of Content Strategy. Hi, Brad. Hey, Erica. So great to be back with you on the podcast. So we just wrapped up the March issue of HFM. It's going to be hitting mailboxes in the next couple of weeks. What should our listeners be looking out for? March HFM is the denials edition, which is always a hot topic around here. Our cover story is four ways to avoid denials amid the pandemic, which gets into how revenue cycle leaders are keeping up with the new codes and changing payment guidelines in the COVID era. It's a really practical look at how different health systems are being more proactive in certain key areas to keep denials from arising. Several good takeaways and definitely worth a read if you work around revenue cycle. Also, there's a great column from Ken Perez about the shutdown of Haven, which was this joint venture between Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and JP Morgan that was supposed to tackle their own rising employee healthcare costs. It didn't work for a variety of reasons, probably not the least of which was coordinating between three very different big companies. At the time, I saw several social media posts that basically said, see, Amazon healthcare is really hard. But seriously, why in the world would you count out Amazon from finding its way into healthcare in a really big way? And so Ken explores why we haven't seen the last of Amazon. It's a really great read. And my biggest takeaway was that in the next five years, we're likely to see Amazon make its biggest healthcare impact, uh, likely in the pharmacy space. I'm really excited about today's interview. And Brad, I know you are too, because it's with Jill Geisler, who is the Bill Plant Chair in Leadership and Media Integrity at Loyola University Chicago. And she writes the leadership column for HFM Magazine every month. What we are talking about today is social media. I think everybody listening has heard stories about people losing their jobs over things they've said or shared on social. And when you think about all the don'ts, it can be a little bit intimidating. But what Jill did was focus on the do's. And I think she had some really good thoughts. Social media has great power for good. It has great power to build you as a personal brand, if you choose to use that term. It also allows you to help your organization if you truly provide a service with each one of those. But we can also get ourselves in trouble. Now, how do you get yourself in trouble? Well, first of all, the more emotional you get about something you see, especially if it makes you angry, stop, pause, and question. Ask yourself, how do I know this is true? Ask yourself, what's the source of this information? We often see a headline of something and say, oh my gosh, that's either fascinating, wonderful, or terrible. I'm going to share that. I have a personal rule. 
I never share anything I have not clicked on and checked. Now think about that, how easy it is if you're on social media and something on your Twitter feed comes through and you say, wow, that's, that's important news. I'm going to pass that on. I'm going to retweet it. Check it. It's particularly important because there's so much misinformation today. I think the bigger question is, do you feel that you personally can stand behind the content of what you just shared? Because it is your reputation that has just put it out there. And you can say, well, I was just retweeting it. And retweets don't really represent who I am or my organization. But think about that. That's kind of like me saying to you, Erica, take a look at this, and then walking away. Well, you're going to say, why did you want me to see it? So Brad, we've had a real challenge trying to figure out how to discuss this. And I think the reason is because you and I share content all the time and we do it for our jobs. But I don't know that everybody listening necessarily thinks of their social as being connected with their jobs. Some people do. Some people share a lot of things. I see a lot of great stuff on LinkedIn from people I'm connected to, and that's generally in a professional capacity. I see some good things on Twitter. But I think a lot of people use social media more as a social thing. So can we talk for a second about why it's important to still keep your job and your professionalism in mind when you're on social, even if you are using it in a social way? I think for some people, they're listening to Jill thinking this is a great reminder. And then I think there may be a faction of people who are thinking, I haven't thought about it like that before. And I think for you and I, it comes more naturally because, you know, Jill is from media, we're from media and uh, journalists at heart. And there's a way that you do things and that you validate before you share. And we live this at HFMA every day, too, in our social media channels here, which you and I are heavily involved in. We have to think before we share. We have to think before we like something. We have to put great thought into what we write there and the images that we choose and things like that. And you and I are both pretty conservative just personally on social media. As you point out, my Twitter account is pretty professional. How do you feel about this? I'm a strong believer and always have been. I've been involved in social from the beginning in the 2000s and I've been around it for a long time and played in that space for a long time. I don't think you can separate yourself from your job. I see a lot of times in descriptions and bios Opinions are my own, not my company's. I don't feel like you can do that. What do you think? No, I, I would definitely agree with you. And I'm a little more fast and loose with my social media. I don't hesitate to share pictures of the dinner I made or something funny that my kids say. But I also don't get in fights on social media I don't get into things like sharing my opinions about politics or things like that that might be irksome. And when Jill and I spoke, she talked about if you want to cheer on your favorite sports team, go ahead. If you want to share a recipe because you love to cook and you want to join a group of people who love to cook, that's pretty harmless. And, and I think that's kind of where I come from in there. But yeah, as far as taking a look at things that I want to share and seeing the potential problems with them, even if it is something I wholeheartedly believe in, sometimes I don't, I don't know that there's anything to be gained from sharing it anyway. Absolutely. I think it's just, it's in all, it's a good reminder to be thoughtful, thoughtful about what you write, 
and the photos that you pick and the posts that you like. And just always being mindful of what you're doing. And if it's emotional, I mean, it is so easy to get sucked into emotional discussions. Take a deep breath, right? Walk away from it and um, don't do anything you'll regret. In the next part of the interview, we are going into the minefield that is the discussion of politics. Recognize that you are building a digital legacy, that if I am your potential employer or potential coworker or potential friend, I can look you up online and I can see what you've, maybe you've created something on your LinkedIn account. Maybe you've got an Instagram account, assuming that these things are open and public. I can learn a lot about you through that. And if you have a passion for rescuing shelter animals, that might say a lot about you. If you decide you are going to take a position on a highly controversial issue, or you're going to tell me how to vote because that's how you vote, I may say, hmm, I think this may make me uncomfortable. May not. I'll tell you a great story. Um, the, The head of news for one of the major news outlets sent out a tweet that said, we've heard from people in our organization that they're afraid they'll get fired if they tweet Black Lives Matter. And she said, well, then fire me first because Black Lives Matter. And her point was, there are some things that are so important that even if they are to some controversial, they are morally right. And so in that organization, the leader took the position as have other organizations, that standing for social justice is not considered a controversial position, even if you're supposed to be a person in journalism who is neutral. So I'm just telling you that because we're in a time right now where people are reflecting deeply on social injustice. So having said that, there are also things that you may love or hate Joe Biden or love or hate Donald Trump, And the question is, what's the forum in which you're going to have your political dialogue? Are you broadcasting to the world or are you having a good conversation, a civil conversation with some friends in a Facebook group or on your page? And I think that makes a difference, too. There really is nothing wrong with developing an online presence, but you really need to say, what do I want the world to know about me? How public or how private do I want to be? I don't recommend that you automatically share pictures of your children, because if it's out in the public domain, you may find that that photo has been appropriated by someone to be used in ways you never dreamed. But that's your choice. It's a risk, one would say. You also may say on a more closed platform, and when I say more closed, there are very few that are totally private because somebody can share something with somebody else. So even though I have a personal Facebook page, I also have thousands of friends because I teach a lot and I teach workshops and seminars and then people friend me afterwards. And I assume everything I post could be put on a billboard in the downtown of any community, and I would be proud that it was there. I know of a case in which someone, a friend of mine, posted in what she thought was just her own community group, a real complaint about her children's school. It was a private school, and they called mom in and said, we understand you're not happy. You can withdraw your kids now. And it was not because the person who called her in was online. It was apparently someone else in her group who would pass that information on about what she had posted. 
All right, Brad. So let's talk about sharing on social things about other people. And I I think you and I were sitting here kind of patting ourselves on the back because we are pretty careful about the things we share. And then something happened. Yeah, as careful and conservative as I've always been on social media uh, about a year ago, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And my daughter was on a middle school team that plays seventh and eighth grade basketball. And they ran the table for two years. It was really great story at the time. And, and the pandemic hit and their very last championship game to run the table for those two years was on the day they shut the schools down and they let the kids play the game, but they wouldn't let parents in. It was very upsetting to the kids at the time, but you know, they, they uh, knuckled down and they went and they, they won the game by a few points. And it was a great moment. We all met them at the school um, when the buses rolled in and had signs and everything and took pictures with the coaches and all that. And I was just ecstatic and I posted it to Twitter. And later it occurred to me, wow, I just made a decision for a whole bunch of parents that I'm going to post a photo of their kids here. So, you know, even with the best of intentions, you know, nobody complained about it. Nobody said, hey, I didn't give you permission to do that. But I did have a moment of clarity where I thought that these are minors uh, with parents who may or may not be cool with this. So, so I took it down. I think that's such a great example, though, because it it is such a nice moment. It's such a nice thing to do. And probably most of those parents wouldn't care, but you never really know. At first blush, things like that you might not think could possibly bother anybody. But I think those are some of the things that are the hardest to think through. Yeah, I think it's not immediately apparent. You f- the emotion you, f- you feel is, is good and, and positive and you want to shout something out. But it, it just sort of accentuates the need to stop and think about these things. I mean, when your heart can be in the right place and, and you can say the wrong thing that, you know, outs a new relationship for your company, um, you know, that isn't out there yet. Or, you know, just things that you may be excited and enthusiastic about but it wasn't quite the right time and place for you to take it upon yourself to, to make that announcement. So it's not always readily apparent. So in this final segment, we're going to hear what Jill has to say about how to navigate when other people do share something about you that you might not necessarily want shared. I think whatever you type, whatever you post, you should assume could be broadcast publicly anywhere. You should assume you are never off the record on social media. You are never off the record when you are texting someone. You have to assume that if it is something that exists in a form that can be screen grabbed or captured or repeated, that it could come back to haunt you. And that's different than being on the phone and telling someone, so-and-so is going to make me pull my hair out, you know, if I have to work with that person one, one more day. Sure, someone can repeat that, but it does not have even a fraction of the power of your own published words. And so I would just say, be very cautious. And I do think that 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 social media can lull, especially people who you know aren't sophisticated in the in the ways of the world and sharing. Right? They'll start posting things that they think are fine until somebody tells them. No, you know, don't use that photo of me. 
I mean, you can be at a public event and somebody's taking pictures, you know, and you you sometimes have to say, you know what, this isn't a good day for me. So if you're going to post stuff, how about not me? Okay. Um, so you 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 have the right to ask that, but you also just need to be extra careful about what you decide you're going to say and what you're going to share. If it's hurtful to somebody, you can't take it back. It's out there forever. It's out there as though it's engraved in stone. And so I would just say, use social for all the good it can do. So if anybody wants to hear more from Jill, you can read her column every month in HFM. She's got a really good one we talked about in the last episode coming up in the March issue. So you can look for that and her past columns always on hfma.org. Brad, do you have any other uh, content you want to talk about today? Sure. I just want to plug the great team of editors we have here at HFMA. If you aren't aware, we have an experienced group of journalists reporting and curating news and information about healthcare finance policy and regulation every day. So outside of HFM magazine, you can also get access to our best of the best content by subscribing to HFMA Daily, which is our Monday through Friday e-newsletter. Lots of news about the healthcare industry that will keep you in the know and lots that will actually help you do your job better. If you wanna to subscribe to this or any of our other specialty e-newsletters, all you have to do is go to hfma.org and click on your account followed by communications preferences. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. If you want to chat with us, hit us up on social media. We are on Facebook and LinkedIn as Healthcare Financial Management Association and on Twitter at HFMAORG. Or as always, you can email our team at podcast at hfma.org. Let's scrap that.